0: It is humbling to relearn how to ask for help, but my company is fantastic. We're very culture focused, much like Memory Blue is, and that whole collaborative environment is definitely there. I mean, I can reach out to anybody at any time with a problem and not feel like I am not doing my job or I'm not learning, I'm just learning from my colleagues and my peers and the people around me who have done some of these hands-on projects before and have implemented some pretty cool solutions.
1: All right, everybody, we're back. Today, we've got Tiffany Dunn on the podcast. Tiffany, not only is a 3X Salesforce certified professional, she got a first certification when she worked here at Memory Blue. She moved out to Denver with her husband from Virginia. They drove the truck themselves. She's been to the Memory Blue office in Denver, despite the fact that she left working for us nearly three years ago. And, during her tenure at Memory Blue, did multiple roles and did a really good job of making sure I used Salesforce the right way, which is a tough thing to do. Hi, I'm Mark Gagné.
2: And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagné, you know I'm ready.
1: Tiffany, say hello. Tell everyone where you work, what you're
0: doing now. Hi. So now I am a senior Salesforce consultant within the Salesforce Center of Excellence for Publicis Sapient. So we're a global consulting firm focused on digital business transformation.
2: Tiffany, great seeing you again. I got to start off asking this question because you are the only person I think that we've worked with that has successfully rebranded through marriage. We never refer to you as your maiden name. It's always the marriage name. How'd you do it?
0: I have no idea because I think before I left the office, you were still calling me t (laughs) culp.
2: I guess we all got accustomed to to the new last name. So great seeing you again. I'm looking forward to catching up with you.
0: Great to see you guys too.
1: All right. All right. Let's break it down a little bit. So this is going to be a listen to podcast because of what you're doing now and your career transition, I think. But let's just let everyone get to know you a little bit, knowing our audience of people who are thinking about coming to work here, people who work for us now, and other alums. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, what you were like as a kid, high school, college.
0: Sure. So I grew up in Warrington, Virginia. I think Warrington was a little far from Reston, so you don't have too many people from Warrington. I think Jesse Matthews was one of the others. (laughs) I grew up in Warrington. I went to Fauquier High School. I was a cheerleader for many years, competitive cheerleader. I started working pretty early in high school. I worked at Glory Days Grill for five years, mostly through high school and college. Went to Virginia Tech to start off college, spent some time at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina, and then finished up my college degree at George Mason.
1: The Mace. Yes. All right, okay. So what did you end up majoring in when you got out of Mason? Business management.
0: I really had no idea what I wanted to do.
1: Okay. So keep going. What what did you end up doing?
0: Uh, Like I said, I really had no idea what I wanted to do out of college. I knew that I was good at being in front of people. They had this great program that they told me I could get a job anywhere once I had finished their training program. So I went and did that. I washed cars for a year, but I met my husband which is great. I went on to work for K-12. It's an online education company. I think they've gotten pretty popular this year with online school and COVID. So I was there for a little while and realized that I was pretty good at sales and really wanted to get into more of a sales role and less of a selling an idea kind of role. Sales role and less of a selling an idea kind of role. And one of the girls I was working with at the time had interviewed at Memory Blue and gave me Tiana's card.
1: TKO. So There's a lot to unpack there. Let's back it up a little bit. First of all, let's give a shout out to your husband because I felt like he worked here. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. So what's his name? Let's give a shout out to your husband because I felt like he worked here. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. So so what's his name?
0: My husband's name is Phil Dunn. Yeah, he's also in sales.
1: I mean, because he was with you through the whole Memory Blue journey and beyond. I literally felt like Phil worked at Memory Blue.
0: (laughs) Yes, every happy hour, every pirate ship event. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I don't even know him that well, but I was like, how's Phil doing? (laughs) And Chris and I respect people who come out of the car rental business. I know you said you wash cars for a year, but that's a tough job. What did you learn in that role?
0: It really is a tough job. I mean... Basically, from day one, you get asked to do everything. Mm-hmm. Underwriting contracts. Day one, you're given full authority to give as big of a discount as you want to give to make a customer happy. And that's a pretty big responsibility when you're in your first like couple weeks out of college. Pretty stressful. But I learned a lot of perseverance. Working there, I think, is really what it was. I learned I could do anything for a year. But it's a tough job. You're selling products that people tend to not really want to use the rental insurance and not the rental, like the extra insurance, the extra coverages too. So it was a tough job. You had to stay on the top half of the matrix, which was like the sales board for the area in order to keep your job. And it was, I think at the time we had about 500 people on our matrix. So you had to stay in the top half if you were in the top like ten percent, that's really where you were trying to stay. So I did make the top ten percent there for a little while. I went to work at the airport, which they call their like best person mm-hmm. program. And the airport, I think, is where you really get a lot of that like high volume sales experience. So
1: good, yeah. And you work odd hours, right? Five a.m. So you, you learn to work.
0: Yes. You also work uh, mandatory fifty-five hour work weeks. Um, there's no such thing as a 40 hour work week. Your schedule is 55 hours and you won't get your full salary if you don't work those.
1: There you go. Yeah. So I wanted to give a little respect to that because I know you take stuff serious that you do. The highlight the fact that you were a baller there because I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember that from our interview. So then you went to K 12. Mm-hmm. Was that more of a taste of sales or less of a taste of sales?
0: I think it was more of a formal introduction to what technology sales could be like. I mean, essentially you're trying to sell the online schooling platform technology to customers, to end users, not even to other businesses, but to customers who don't know technology very well. And that's a difficult thing to do, but it gave me more of that formalized process of using Salesforce. It was my first introduction to Salesforce. I think it was 2012 pre salesforce classic but it, i mean it was a great introduction to the more formal process of it and working on the phone at enterprise i was face to face all day long at k12 i was working in a call center on a phone my entire shift
1: somehow you got to tiana and i think you were dissatisfied with k12 it was a bad place to work but maybe there was supposed to be some promotions or something that happened
0: Yeah, there wasn't much career longevity. My husband had gotten into tech sales, Phil got into tech sales. And I was like, wow, you're like excelling and accelerating in your career so much faster than me. I'm here selling, I'm doing the same activities that you're doing, and my career is not moving. So that was really the driving factor behind me looking for tech sales and stumbling across memory blue. Got
1: it. All right. So then Tiana, what happened?
0: So I got handed Tiana's card. I applied online because I was terrified of calling her. The thought of cold calling someone like completely terrified me, which <laughs> is funny looking back on it, because that's all I did. Um, <laughs> but it was a brand new interview experience for me. I came in and interviewed, I was supposed to interview with Mishler. First day. <laughs> he didn't show up. I interviewed with Ben Finish. Nikoski. And- he was a brand new DM. It was an interesting interview. I remember thinking when I walked in, there were a lot of guys that worked there. I was trying to find the female sales reps, but I didn't see much of the office. I remember debriefing with Tiana afterwards, and that was a new concept for me in terms of that really like strategic recruiting process and following up with candidates. And I came back and interviewed with Mark.
1: Wow. It looks like April of 2014. Probably we in love with your enterprise experience and the fact that you put two solid years in at K-12. And we're always looking to get women into the profession for all sorts of reasons.
0: I remember doing my call script in Tommy's office. And I, I remember getting coached on it a little bit afterwards. And I was like, I really have no idea <laughs> how well I did in this interview. But I mean, I don't remember it being a bad experience. I remember you throwing around a few F-bombs during my interview. You kept saying, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry.
1: There you go. That's some things that haven't changed. All right. All right. So you started as an STR. Back then we called them account executives. What was that yep.
0: like? So when I started, I'm pretty sure the night before my first day, I told myself, I can do anything for 15 months because this job really scared me. Good for it, you. Yeah. It scared me a lot. So, I mean, my first day was we were in the old courthouse office. I sat next to Jim Gandolfo. He was my first day buddy. Jimmy G. We sat in the back of the office by ourselves. And I just remember everybody going to lunch on their first day and being like, oh, you can get up and go to lunch whenever you want. It was a whole new concept for me, having come from a call center. Just a whole new like office life process. But my mentor was Ryan Cooper.
1: Oh, Cooper! Wow! Yeah.
0: <laughs> I still talk to Cooper on occasion. But yeah, he was my mentor and I was on his client. So I was on SmartLogic and Summit 7 Systems. Summit 7 Systems left shortly after that. So I got put on Box.com, which I remember at the time was a big deal. I think it was one of the biggest deals you guys had closed at that time.
1: At the time, that was the biggest deal in the history of the business, which was a big deal, right?
0: And now I use Box every day.
1: Yeah. Now you use it every day. At that point, we had been in business for 12 years and Tommy brought that deal in and that was super big. So we wanted to make sure we put all our ballers on that thing.
0: Yeah, I remember getting coached by Tommy in like the aisleways. You're ready to start on box, right? You <laughs> coach me every day. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Give me some people to call. Those were the only three clients I worked on. I had a handful of PPMs. I didn't really chase down PPMs too much. There was, I think, probably about four months into my SDR tenure, Justin Brown came up and did a stump announcement. Hey, Brown. Did a stump announcement standing on a desk. I miss those that he was hiring. I had no idea what he did at Memory Blue either, but he was hiring for the search team. So I was like, oh, well I could go be a recruiter. That sounds fun. recruit some people to work at Memory Blue. I love the story of how Memory Blue got started. So I applied for Justin's role and started on the search team after I think about six months.
2: Wow, so from SDR to search in six months. So what was the difference between the two roles?
0: I think the biggest difference between the two roles, at least at first, was how you were getting your prospecting list. When I first started on the search team, I was doing all internal search, so just recruiting candidates for Memory Blue, so learning how to search the job boards and put together lists of candidates. It was just a bit of a different list building style from mass copy and paste style previously. It was a little bit more strategic. And then we can talk about me moving into external search. I think that's really the biggest difference.
1: I got one thing real quick. We'll get into it and I'll shut up. And this is for everybody. You said like the night before, like you were stealing yourself. I can do anything for 15 months. And you were hesitant to call Tiana who wanted you to come work for the company. How did you transition into this really good person at their job from an outbound standpoint? What happened? How did that transformation take place?
0: I think it's just the culture you guys create. There's such an energy surrounding the blitz and the excitement. And it's funny when someone hangs up on you and you get like this camaraderie surrounding it of everyone's going through the same things you're going through. I think I also remember a training early in my memory, Blue Day's. I think it was you, Mark, who said, These people are just like you. Like that CEO woke up this morning the same way that you did and just pick up the phone and call them. Hung over? <laughs> yeah, hung over. I don't know. <laughs> it was just like a something to constantly remind myself of is like everybody you're talking to is just another person. They're not that much more important than you. You've got something great to sell them. Just pick up the
1: phone. Got it. All right. I love it. Sorry. I think we were going back to, um, I'll hand the ball back to Corcoran. She
2: went to Justice Team and she was doing internal and it was a little bit different in that you had to be more strategic in your list building as opposed to just cut and paste. Although we want our SDRs to be more strategic in their list building.
0: This was a long time ago.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So then you got the hang of doing the internal thing. And then how did you go from doing internal to helping support our search clients?
0: I think the kickoff to my external search experience was you sent us to According to Danny in Connecticut. So I think I had been doing internal search for couple of months, I placed Katie Brasecky down in Austin.
2: That's a great placement right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I placed her and then I think, I don't really know how the transition to external came, but we went to, according to Danny, that kickoff retreat with Ryan Hasbini and Stacey, who's back at Memory Blue.
2: Oh yeah. Leadership coach.
0: Yep. So the three of us road tripped up to Connecticut. We went to the search consultant retreat and... It was great. I feel like that really motivated us to like really come back and try to rebuild memory blue direct placement at the time. Came back and worked with Julianne. I think I'm keeping you busy with that bell.
1: Yep. Love it. (laughs) You were with us for four years.
0: True. At first I was only doing direct placements for deals that Justin or Julianne had closed. So just calling people and recruiting for positions that had been found for me. So I guess just half of a recruiting desk. After a couple of months, we started working on finding our own deals. I don't think I ever found any of my own deals, but I did make the first placement in California. And I placed somebody at Conversica in California. So
1: That gets a bell ring right there. Tiffany, you have a robust body of work at memory.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's also kind of a very like confident feeling to know that I think recruiting is a very good skill to know.
1: Oh,
2: I'm sure. Talk about... Those three roles, the SDR, the internal recruiting, and then the external recruiting, kind of the differences between the three, what you liked, what was the most challenging. Just share with the listeners a little bit about, because a lot of them are considering different career paths. And I think that it'll be helpful for them to hear your experience and what you liked and what you didn't like in just the comparison of
0: those three roles. Sure. I enjoyed the transactional kind of nature of being an SDR. I feel like a lot of your interactions with your client or your prospect are very short. You're kind of interacting and handing off the deal. Maybe you follow it a little bit down the road, but you really get a very brief interaction. You don't get to know your client that well, which is great. I think it has its time and place. I really enjoyed being an internal recruiter for Memory Blue. I enjoyed really getting to know everybody who worked there. I think that's why I know and remember so many alumni is because I talked to them for hours on end. I think I did some of my best work in the old courthouse hallway just telling the Memory Blue story to dozens of candidates a day. But I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that relationship building of getting to know people who are coming to be at Memory Blue and then go on to do some pretty amazing things. And
2: then what about the external piece?
0: External recruiting was hard. I think I mentioned this to you guys before, but having the nerve to pick up the phone and call somebody at their desk who is a top performer at their job and doing well and making a lot of money and trying to sell them on an opportunity that they've never even heard of. And really, you're just selling them on yourself. Because why should they trust me that I have some amazing job for them? That was hard. It was definitely some of the hardest cold calling I've ever done.
2: Help me understand, how is that different from calling an SDR? Because you're calling someone at their desk as an SDR.
0: Yeah, but you're not calling an interfering with that person's whole work life. I remember calling people and being like my manager is standing right behind me. You also kind of run the risk calling sales reps that their phone calls might be recorded. There's a good chance you guys record a lot of your phone calls for training purposes. And there's a good chance that some of those people I was calling were having their phone calls recorded and playing them back for their manager. Here's this Headhunter who's calling and trying to recruit me for some new role, but I think it takes guts. But I'm also glad that it's a skill I know how to do. It's great experience.
2: I think one of the skills that you've developed on your own is the ability to, to leave your comfort zone.
0: I try for sure. Um, I'm not very extroverted person to begin with. So being in sales and recruiting was a difficult personality adjustment, I think for me on a day to day basis of really having to put myself out there.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Now let's talk about your great transition. Like one of the greatest moves in Memory Blue history.
0: Sure. So after a couple of months on the external placement team, I realized number one, that it wasn't what I wanted to do forever. Like I said, I'm really not that extroverted <laughs> of a person, naturally. So I started trying to figure out what other avenues might be out there for me in tech sales. I knew I didn't really want to go back and be an SDR. I thought about what if I became a candidate and I was trying to get placed somewhere else, like where would we be placing me? And I just didn't really see anything at the time that fit. But what I had been doing was lecturing my entire team on how we should use Salesforce. <laughs> and I had been doing that for a few months with the search and sales team.
2: So to share with the listeners about your experience as an SDR using CRM, because we were in a much different situation. And then your experience working with Salesforce as a salesperson and as a recruiter and what you ultimately observed and then what you brought to my attention.
0: Sure. So as an SDR, we didn't use Salesforce in our day-to-day World. We used Excel and we had some fancy little dialer where you hit F3 and F4 to dial and hang up. The only thing we used Salesforce for at the time, I think, was when you actually booked a meeting and you just went into Salesforce, entered in your meeting. Everybody logged into the same place, put their meeting in, and that was it. We had no reporting, no tracking. I didn't even know at the time if you guys were looking at it. (laughs) I didn't really know what it was for. So we really didn't use Salesforce at all. As a search consultant, we did use Salesforce regularly. We were importing resumes into Salesforce and adding all of our candidates and calling and leaving notes within Salesforce. At least I was. What I very quickly realized is that a lot of the whole rest of my team really was using Salesforce to look people up and then they'd call them and not actually leave the note in Salesforce So you had no history on any of the contacts. I remember going in and asking, can I call this list? And no one had any idea whose contacts they were, how updated they were. It was a mess. That was my focus at the time I was trying to get our teams to really hone in on who owned what in Salesforce. I remember you kept telling us that everything was greenfield. And I was like, I don't like this. I want to own my contacts and follow up with them. But that was such a difficult concept for us because we had so many duplicates and we couldn't figure out where it all had come from. So that's really where my sales operations dreams came from. I started specking out this sales operations job that I would do. And then I would just pick up slack on all the things that Chris seemed to not be able to find time to do.
1: That's like, a long list.
0: Uh, <laughs> it was a very long list. But the things I really threw out to you to propose the job were the DHR mm-hmm. taking over reporting and trying to clean up reporting.
2: to listeners about what the DHR is.
0: It is the daily huddle report and is essentially the lifeblood of what the SDRs are doing. I mean, how well the teams are performing by rep, by client, by manager, by month, by week. I mean, you could really break down that by day. So that was pretty incredible data. Looking back at it now, it's an impressive collection of data and way to look at the information.
2: And so how was it getting delivered when you saw this could be done better? How was it getting sent out?
0: It was supposed to be getting sent out daily. I think it was going out once or twice a week and usually with not correct information because nobody put their information into Salesforce to make it correct. But I think Mishler was sending it out. I think it was a Mishler document.
2: The same guy who no-showed on your interview? Yeah. All right. So you saw the opportunity with Salesforce. You saw the opportunity with the DHR. What else did you see in terms of opportunities that you wanted to bring to my attention?
0: Some of the very first things I took over were the client packages. So sending out client welcome packages, getting the t-shirts, letters, all that put together and sent out. I took over office supply ordering, put in all of the coffee and notebooks. I think I was your resident printer fixer. For a couple of years, fixed that printer more times than I can count. I took over basically all the like the odd jobs that were just out there. And my real goal was to get to do Salesforce. I told you I wanted to be your Salesforce administrator, and I wanted to make it functional for you. Um, I think we had just started the process of talking to insidesales.com. We were working on getting insidesales.com implemented for... The sales team, we had looked at it a little bit for search and then everybody left the search team. So it felt like it was just good timing.
2: Just to set the stage for the listeners. So up to this point, this is we're 12 years in as a company. When we started the business, we viewed that the data that you're collecting and, and the updates that you should be making, it's valuable. It's important. As such, we would work within our client CRM system, whether they had Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics, or Sugar, or whatever they were using, we would use it. We would just get a user ID and log in, and we would track our day-to-day conversations, all our activity within their system. And our clients liked it, and it was good because it didn't cost us any money, which was great. So Tiffany said, hey, no, 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 guys, listen, Salesforce is a great investment, and if you guys buy into it, It can become help you guys build up a sales stack, technology stack, and you guys can get fluent in using that. And that can help you guys be more competitive in the marketplace, even though it's going to cost you a ton of money. And so not only did you convince us to create the role that never existed in the history of the company, you also convinced us to make a substantial investment in technology, which we did. And I'm thrilled that we did both. So talk to us a little bit about when we went from having, I don't know, 10 licenses to The next day we had a hundred licenses and you completely installed Salesforce at Memory Blue.
0: I think that was about the time we bought insidesales.com for all of the sales reps. We had done some kind of user acceptance testing with Tommy's team to really see how insidesales.com could function, what type of reporting functionality and what type of information you guys could gain from how many times you were touching leads before you had a contact. How many times did it take of cadence to really get in touch with a prospect. I think that was really the driving factor was that reporting and the information that you could gain from it. So yeah, we switched from 10 to 25 total users to about 100 when we first launched insidesales.com, which was a huge admin responsibility I didn't realize I was taking on, setting up 100 users, but it honestly was great. I mean, at the time, insidesales.com was like the hot new technology. We had the automated dialing. We had the emailing capabilities. Local presence was really big at the time. So it was great. It's also actually funny. I have since worked with an implementation manager that we worked with at insidesales.com. He was one of my solution architects when I started in my
2: role now. Oh, that's awesome. So real quick, think of these sales that you're making, like not in the traditional sense of, of you with a purchase order and closing a prospect. But you essentially came to me and persuaded me to create this role, this function that was 100% overhead. And you convinced us to do that. And we did. And we gladly did that. And then on the heels of that win, that sale, you convinced us to buy all this technology, the Salesforce and insidesales.com, which for the listeners was probably over $200,000, the software. And and it's not just like a one-time cost. You have to pay that every single year. So those are some pretty big persuasions.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of legwork to keep up in integration like sales.com too. So I think that's what led me into my next sale of I started working on researching other solutions for calling and cadencing sales. And I came across DialSource and started working on researching what the difference in cost would be first because I did have to convince you to buy it, but also just really vetting out the differences between the two calling systems and why dial source might work better for memory blue at the time. And that was a hard sell for me. Mark is nodding. (laughs) It was a very hard sell for Mark to switch the systems that we were using for day-to-day sales life.
1: It's why I still like classic, but let me ask you a question. So we have folks who work for us right? As SDRs. And it's most of them, were training them and grooming them and exposing them into going into the high-tech sales world, primarily as sales professionals. Although we're in no delusions of grandeur that everyone's going to do that. Chris and I are powerful believers in the importance of operations, sales operations, sales enablement, whatever you want to call it to a company. Some of us more than others. Yeah. I don't know what you're referring to, but what's interesting about it though, is what intrinsically with you attracted you to that side of the business? Hey, this is Salesforce stuff. Was it when you were working on recruiting and you were more involved in Salesforce and you saw the power that it could have on productivity? Talk to us about that because I want the people who are listening. It's great that we're talking about what Memory Blue did, but I kind of want your personal experience so they can maybe or maybe not relate to that.
0: Sure. So, I mean, that's 100% where my motivation came from was I had been a sales rep or a sales user in a variety of capacities, working with many different systems, Salesforce being one of them. I worked on a green screen at enterprise. So that's in not even close to an updated system. But I think when I started working as a search consultant, I really went back to the training I had received at K-12 within Salesforce and all of the different things that I would be able to do with it. And then I realized how useful that would be for the SDRs. I mean, like I said, at the time, I wasn't even working out of my client CRM. I was working off of an Excel spreadsheet, which was not very organized. You guys were gaining no data really from that. I think it's always been a really data and reporting perspective for me, too, of what kind of information are you getting from the activities I'm completing for you, other mm-hmm. than meetings, which, mm-hmm. you know, meetings are the end goal, but there's so much that goes into those meetings and being able to show like what you've done and how those actions drive sales.
1: You're right, because our business is very bottom line oriented. You have to book and you have to cur these meetings. And if you don't do that, and if they're not quality, the clients are going to get upset and angry and people are going to get frustrated and discouraged. But there's a lot of work that goes into that. And if you don't have the numbers behind it, you don't really know. The data tells a story and how are you going to organize it if you're working in client systems? Exactly. Yeah. So I'll save this piece and I'll, and I'll step aside again for a second. You were able to convince Chris, to a certain extent, me to do these things. And then you did them. And all of a sudden, congratulations, you're the person who wanted to do these things and the two people who you convinced to let you do these things, they don't know shit about how to implement these things and make them work. So you're like looking around, like you said, and you hinted at it, like all of a sudden I'm the administrator of Salesforce and InsideSales.com and all these other things. How did you learn how to do this? Like, where'd you pick this up?
0: I googled everything i learned i wish there was trailhead at the time trailhead is a wonderful feature from salesforce that everybody should go on if you're a salesforce user go learn something on trailhead it didn't exist when i was trying to learn so i do own two books printed books that i bought off amazon and i studied from those i did a lot of Googling, a lot of asking for help within the Salesforce communities. So just reaching out and trying to see other people who had similar problems to me. But I mean, you guys gave me some great resources. I really got so much of the experience and the technological stuff that I know now really came from my time at Memory Blue and having to figure it out on my own. I didn't have an architect or a developer sitting behind me to ask questions. I really had to pull out all of the resources I could find and do it myself.
2: You also were able to upgrade us in a lot of areas, not just in terms of our CRM system with Salesforce or our dialing with Inside Sales and then Dial Source, but we had this concept of scoring leads and we had the process, and we want to see how our clients think of our leads, and it's really important for us. And it was a project that I I was working on. And I went out and bought, I wasn't talking to anybody, but I went and I bought this technology and I got it to work and I threw it over the fence to you. And I was like, Tiffany, just make sure this works. And then I think you went to Dreamforce and take the listeners from there.
0: Sure. So first and foremost, thank you for sending me to Dreamforce. Um, I haven't been to Dreamforce since I left memory blue. Oh man. (laughs) I know. I'm so sad. But sounds like you need to come back. Yeah, you asked me three times and I loved it. Dreamforce is so much fun. But it's also like Salesforce Candyland. You go and you find so much cool technology and so many things you want to buy. I left Dreamforce and get feedback. Was one of Dreamforce's sponsors that year Mm -hmm. and they were doing the post Dreamforce surveys. And on the post Dreamforce survey, they had on their score rate one to 10, they had Salesforce clouds. And I remember seeing the Salesforce clouds and thinking to myself, Chris could have elephants. <laughs> that would be really cool. And I think that's really how we started going down the path of Get Feedback was they were the ones who offered us custom elephant buttons and they were a, a lot easier to use also.
2: Ridiculously easier to use. And those elephants are, I loved it back then. I love it even more today. We love those client surveys. It's awesome. And just to shed a little bit more light on that, I'm just going to talk very personally through the COVID experience is we were all working remote from our house and it's a far different experience working remote than it is the sales floor and the energy and all those things that you talked about before. And every once in a while, I'd be a little down or depressed about the situation and this, that, and the other. It happens to everybody. And then all of a sudden, a lead score would come in and it would be like a 10. And I was like, man, we're doing it. The SDRs are delivering for our clients and it would just put me in a much better mood. So- Tiffany, thanks for your part in setting that groundwork to really the lifeblood of the business. Now, we get them all day, every day. These lead scores just funneling in from the clients that get sent out internally to everybody, number one. And then number two, also broadcasted out on memoryblue.com on our website. So thank you very much for making that a reality.
0: Of course, and on your blog, I saw. Yeah, those are great. I really consider that to be like one of my first big Salesforce configuration projects. InsideSales.com and DialSource are integration lifts of their own and are definitely not to be scoffed at that it's hard work, but that was my first real configuration project. It was the first project I was really proud of. I still show people your website. So you get like some free advertising for me showing your website, show what I built. But yeah, no, it's a great feature. And I think it grew tremendously while I was even at Memory Blue, just from internal lead scoring was how we started our user testing just on Tommy's internal sales team. But I remember that first day going live and sending emails to clients and just waiting. for somebody to send them back. Are you guys still doing the $250 gift cards for
3: lead score surveys?
2: Yep, every month. It's a great program.
3: Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive bootcamp session followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue STR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com/academy.
1: We're talking a little bit inside and outside the box. So, people who may or may not be listening, who are part of the company, the people who work at the company know. If you don't work at Memory Blue and you happen to be listening to this. If you go to MemoryGlue.com and you scroll down, you can see every lead score from a client. So memoryblue sets up a meeting, books a meeting for a client, and they, they occur the meeting. The client sales rep gets a note and they get to score it, and their response ends up on our website. And I would say at least half the sales calls that I'm on, too, is I always have the memoryblue salesperson share their screen, and I got it down to a science now where they can do it and it's not awkward. And we roll this out. We show this to all of our prospects, Tiffany, not all of them, at least half of them. And they're like, wow, that's pretty insightful and interesting. So yeah, Tiffany built that.
2: Yeah. So Tiffany, one of the clients, they decided we won the work and we asked them why they chose us. And they said, well, your lead scoring. And you know what it was about your lead scoring? It was the ones. We know that you guys are not covering anything up. It's just all live. The good, the bad, and the ugly.
0: Yes, I've checked in a few times every once in a while. You see a one or a two. I think most of the time I'm on there, I see pretty high lead scores. <laughs> so your SDRs are doing pretty well. All
2: right. So I just want to let everyone know where we are at a, from a company standpoint, right? So obviously, we have a lot at stake with Tiffany. Like she is running the operations. She knows everything about our CRM system, our dialing system, our lead scoring system. So needless to say, we're terrified that she's going to leave. She's going to either win the lottery or is going to get lured away by someone else.
1: Or Phil's going to be like, I'm tired of this shit. Yeah. Quit that place. Yeah. Mark and I were (laughs) a little scared.
2: And then one day she comes into my office and she talks about how her dad would play golf with someone down in Disney World. So Tiffany, talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So my parents have gone to Disney World every year for as long as I can remember. They actually live in Florida now. So my dad will run into on the golf course now. But I remember they were down there one year and my dad called me from the golf course. And he was like, guess who I'm playing golf with? I was like, I have no idea. I'm at work. And he's like, I'm playing golf with a guy named John Sisson. He says he knows your boss. I was like, okay, I'm not sure. And I just remember coming to your office and being like, do you know John Sisson Salesforce? Something? about Salesforce. It turns out he was a good friend of yours and Salesforce consulting, which small world, that's where I wound up. But it was just a very strange timing, I think too.
2: Did it look like I saw a ghost?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a little. I also didn't think you'd let your friends like steal away your...
2: John Sisson at the time ran a Salesforce consulting company and was one of our very first clients years and years ago, back in like 2003, 2004, and then has done some Salesforce consulting work for us. So he's always on the lookout for people like you, always. So I was like, oh my goodness, please, no, don't, don't let this happen. A golf course and this whole thing is going to come to a crash end, fiery end because of a golf course in Orlando.
0: Unfortunately, it's hard to get in, into consulting. I think I was listening to Matt Genoa's podcast yesterday, and he mentioned that too. It's pretty difficult to get into Salesforce consulting without experience consulting or in my opinion, without the experience to sell yourself that you can do consulting because that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Consulting is just a whole different beast, I guess. It's When I started, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've done some sales consulting and memory blew. And when I was working for you guys, I had also worked with a couple of your clients on some small Salesforce mm-hmm. things. We did a Salesforce to Salesforce connection with Smart Logic for a little while. So I had some Salesforce technical experience, but I think the skill set of really being able to sell yourself. And again, those skills from recruiting and being able to sell people, sell skills and sell yourself is really how I got into the role that I'm in now. I've never been a Salesforce consultant before now. I've always been an admin where I've owned my own Salesforce instance. I was in charge of my Salesforce and I got to make all the decisions. So consulting is a whole new world of product, delivery methodology, and really how to deliver a product to clients.
1: Talk about that selling yourself part as a consultant.
0: That's what I do every day (laughs) now really is I'm on the engineering side of consulting. So a lot of what I'm doing is technical work and then presenting my solutions to the client or demoing solutions that we've built to the client. And really, I think it starts with just knowing like their business process really and then just also using my knowledge of business process from working with you guys for so long to really sell them on I know what I'm doing I know Salesforce I know how Salesforce works and I know how to make these processes more efficient for you
2: so walk the listeners through your journey from like how you left us and became kind of Salesforce admin and what you learned there and then what you took from that and how you were able to parlay that into consulting.
0: Sure. So before I left you, I also had to sell you on the idea of me moving to Denver, and um, that was long before your Denver office. There's a theme developing here. <laughs> you guys taught me well. Yeah, back in 2016, Phil and I decided that Northern Virginia was just not for us. He had a job opportunity out in Colorado. And I (laughs) remember being terrified, walking into Chris's office, and just being like, hey, can we talk about me potentially doing this job from Colorado? At the time, I was really trying to push you guys to open the office in Denver, hoping I could just be like your first chair in Denver. But I mean, other than Tiana, you guys didn't really have any remote employees. So right. It was nerve wracking for me at the time, long before the days of COVID working from home. And thankfully, I did a very good job doing the DHR, I think. And Mm -hmm. he said it was okay.
2: So I don't know why you were so nervous. You had a track record of asking me a lot of stuff and me always saying yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, between the two of you, you are the scarier one to come talk to. (laughs)
2: That's such a myth. Actually, I wish it was a myth.
0: (laughs) I know that
2: now. Yeah, you and Phil moved to Denver and then you start doing your thing for us remotely.
0: Yep. So it was right before you guys opened the Jones Branch Drive office. I had hired Brittany for that point, Brittany McGowski, And she was helping you on the office front get the office moved since my team had taken over a lot of that office management responsibility as well. But yeah, I moved out here to Denver. I did the same job that I did in Virginia, really. I worked from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day Mm -hmm. so that I could work East Coast hours with you guys. And then right before I left, I think I had migrated your phone systems to the cloud. So stuck my toe into the CTI world of soft phones and migrated your phone system to the cloud.
2: Great. Talk about what you did. So you ended up leaving and you ended up talk about where you went.
0: Yep. I went to work for a company called uh, Digital First Media. They are the company that owns the Denver Post, Boston Globe, or Boston Herald, a bunch of newspapers across the country. And they were implementing a brand new Salesforce, Sales Cloud instance with uh, Salesforce CPQ which is Salesforce's configure price quote. It's now called Revenue Cloud and pretty cool functionality. Um, in over my head a little bit when I started there, I think. I knew what I was doing technically, at least how to do the Salesforce work, how to do the implementation. But I started working on an agile project team and I had never worked with other people in technology. And I had never really worked on product development before. So that was a whole new experience. It was a really expensive Salesforce implementation. I think they spent somewhere close to a million dollars for a couple year deal plus an implementation contract with the company i work for now and so that's where i got to meet a handful of consultants met some project managers with the consulting company and really got i guess an intro to what consulting could be in terms of delivering a product solution to a customer versus being the everyday admin on that product
1: i see
2: what's the difference between the two in terms of your likes and dislikes
0: I think I like being my own product owner. Mm -hmm. I like having that responsibility of owning the Salesforce, but you also really have to, as a product owner, you spend a lot of time in meetings, Mm -hmm. Uh, spend a lot of time talking to stakeholders and training and just repeating yourself a lot. You don't get to do a lot of the technical work really, which is what I enjoyed. I really wanted to dig my hands into Salesforce and configuration and learn some different technologies that I had never seen before. So I don't think there's really that I prefer one or the other. I think it was just timing and really wanting to experience more of a technical role rather than public facing.
2: So I've got the million dollar question for you. What is that? How do you get salespeople to put their activities in Salesforce?
0: (laughs) Pay them for putting their activities in Salesforce.
2: Talk more about that.
0: If it is not in Salesforce, it does not exist. You don't get paid if it's not in Salesforce. I mean... That's my my end-all be-all answer. I think that's the way to get sales reps to put their information in. But in reality, I think it takes organizational change management and a Mm -hmm. pretty hefty focus on organizational change management. It's something I didn't appreciate as much when I was at Memory Blue. And I think having a person really dedicated to change within your company and focused on how that change is going to impact you in a good way and making sure that users are trained appropriately and that they can follow their entire job process within your product. And it's easy. Having a focus on that, I think, is really the way to go. And even now, I mean, we have specialists within Pubis the Sapient who focus on organizational change management. So.
1: Publicis Sapiens. That's how you pronounce it. Okay. What type of advice would you have for Tiffany Culp before she was done on before you started at Memory Blue the night before? And I'm going back a little because I'm like, this is like a one of three questions I'm going to hit you with right now.
0: I mean, other than I can do anything for
1: 15 months. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, that would have yeah. you would have given yourself different advice.
0: You know, I don't think I would have changed my advice to myself. I think I really. I went into memory blue, not really knowing what I wanted to do at the end of my time in memory blue, but knowing that there were avenues for me to explore. And I think that I went into it with really the right mindset of this is what I'm doing for 15 months and I need to figure it out and find my place and find my way. I led culture club for a couple of years and some of the smaller things that I really tried to like As you said before, get out of my comfort zone and really try to expand myself within the company. Those were some of the best lessons I learned. So I don't know if I would have changed my answer or changed my advice.
1: If there's someone listening now who's, man, I want to get into the Salesforce game. Like what advice, and let's pretend they work at Memory Blue what advice would you have for them now
0: become a power user become the user who helps all of the people around you learn how to make your own reports make your own dashboards impress your manager with the data and information that you can glean from the activities that you're doing every day take some trailheads i recommend all sales reps take some trailheads on reporting dashboards just some of those day-to-day sales functionalities even if you don't wind up in salesforce or in a technical role. I think some of those skills are gonna get you far.
1: If you were working at Memory Loop today, how would you architect us, getting people to use Salesforce more?
0: You're gonna ask me how I would architect your Salesforce. No. I was like, I have nightmares about that.
1: <laughs> um, no.
0: I still think about it.
1: <laughs> you, you have? Um,
0: yeah, I have nightmares about some of the early work that I did. Looking back now, I know better, but I have thought about how I would fix it in case you ever need it fixed. I don't really know, that was a tough question.
1: So. Well, let's go back to what you're doing now. If someone wanted to do what you're doing now, I mean, what advice would you have for them? I mean, like there are lots of people say, man, I want to be a, sales, a senior Salesforce.com consultant at a really reputable consulting company. What's your advice for them?
0: I mean, my advice would be to probably try to find some pro bono work. There's some sites out there, catchafire.org, where you can go out and try to find some Salesforce volunteer work. My company does the 1% volunteer work similar to Salesforce, and I use Catchafire to try to find opportunities local to me. So try to find some pro bono work. Like I said, I mean, really focusing on Trailhead, I think over the past couple of years, I have seen and heard from more and more recruiters, that Trailhead is becoming as important as certifications. It shows your hands-on experience and your hands-on working knowledge of Salesforce versus coming across somebody who's an excellent test taker and can just pass some certification tests because they're good at studying. I think it really shows that hands-on experience. It also poses some different Questions from different perspectives and different niche markets. Salesforce has so many different clouds now. I mean, they're in every industry, anything that you could possibly think of. I think one of my favorite demo units from Dreamforce is an all hydroponic greenhouse that's run on Salesforce. I think that's so cool. I would love to be in charge of running a hydroponic greenhouse because I know Salesforce. So I think really just exploring what's out there, what's your niche, what are you good at? I know for me, I'm really good at sales process because of you guys, it's what I did for so long being in sales operations is really that sales process, how to track activities, KPIs, and how to track deals to close and then the data points that you're looking to gain from that.
2: So Tiffany, I've got a question for you. So your sales force learning and development, continues to this day. I view it that you've had two chapters in that development thus far. The first chapter was from the jump. You're the guru. You know the most about it, even though that was at the beginning of your journey. And you had to teach yourself everything. And then in chapter two has been you join a company where there's a bunch of Salesforce experts who know more than you. Talk a little bit about those different environments and the learning styles and what you prefer, what you gather from each of those chapters.
0: Sure. So I think it's funny the way that you described it, because the way that I think of it is Costigan Snowman. That reference oh, has always stuck with me too. And I think also, I mean, I just started my role as a consultant now. And I think more than ever, I'm in a position now where there are so many people who know so much more than me when I have been the resident expert on Salesforce in my organization since 2014. So it's a whole new experience. It is humbling to relearn how to ask for help. But my company is fantastic. We're very culture focused, much like memory blue is and that whole collaborative environment is definitely there. I mean, I can reach out to anybody at any time with a problem and not feel like I am not doing my job or I'm not learning. I'm just learning from my colleagues and my peers and the people around me who have done some of these hands-on projects before and have implemented some pretty cool solutions. What about when you were learning, you were self-taught? I mean, I'm still self-taught. I'm pretty sure before I ask anybody, I still exhaust every single option available to me. But I was also pretty surprised to learn that majority of the people that I'm working with came into Salesforce the same way. They fell into Salesforce or Fell into consulting in some cases, but I mean, just this morning on a call, one of my solution architects said, I'm not sure. Let me Google that really quick. And I think we all really learned the same way, which made me feel better that I wasn't missing some specialized training on Salesforce, that there's really a lot of accidental admins who become pretty incredible.
2: You have to have just a, a curiosity off the charts.
0: You have to want to know everything. If right. something isn't working, you have to really have a strong desire to fix it <laughs> not and know why it's not working. It is a constant battle of finding bugs and fixing your own mistakes. Another question for you. So looking back,
2: what's the biggest mistake that you've seen your contemporaries make either while they were working at Memory Blue or after they leave?
0: I think the biggest mistake I saw people making at Memory Blue leaving too early, not completing their tour, or... And I don't think this happened too often in my tenure, but sometimes even SDR is getting hired out a little bit too early. I think I probably could have even used a little bit more time as an SDR. However, difficult the role is, it really prepares you for rejection in the real world and for just how to handle yourself in difficult positions on a day to day basis. So stick with the process, stick it out learn from Mark and Chris because you guys have so much to teach everyone. I think that was my favorite part about recruiting for you is really telling your story and telling everybody how much you really want to improve people. You really want to improve these sales reps and watch these guys develop and grow and become incredible salespeople.
2: I love your journey at Memory Blue because it's untraditional and you literally built it and created it out of thin air. You're like a trailblazer.
1: You just reminded me of some crazy story. You were working at, when you had a job in college or something, you were driving up from some place to go to the job and driving back to some other place to go back to school.
0: I did used to drive from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to Gainesville, Virginia, to work at Glory Days for the weekend.
1: And the fact that I remember that is a testament to your commitment to either working or making money. I don't know what it is, cause that's a little bit crazy. But I was like, man, this girl, this young woman, we're bringing her in.
0: I also ran fireworks stands. I don't know if yeah.
1: you guys remember that. Some of our interviews is crazy, but those are the things that you're the defining moments. Someone tells you yeah. something like that. You're like, all right, this person is a harder worker than I am. They're coming in. But it's not a coincidence that you learned all this stuff, a lot of it on your own, because you're willing to make put the drive in, put the work in. So that's what's gotten you to where you are now. you worked with us for over four years, and you created all these roles, changed the operational functionality of the company.
2: Quite a legacy. Yeah, right, good. Yeah. glad you
1: had fun. Sometimes I was like, I don't know. Let's just have much fun, man. <laughs> I mean, there were days. There was the day
0: that an SDR asked me if I was the person who mailed things. That was a rough day. I was like, no, I'm talented. I know Salesforce. <laughs> I'm not the person
1: who mails things. That's obviously not, not the case. Well, thank you today. I mean, Chris, you got any more? We could go on for a while.
2: now this is good. This is awesome. It was great kind of walking and sharing with the listeners your journey and where you came from before Memory Blue, and then how you took the situation was very observed situations, observed what you wanted to do, and then made your case and didn't come in half-baked, but really thoroughly presented to me all these different options. And you got all these things that you wanted. You got to create the job you wanted. You got to bring in technology that you wanted. You got to move to a different city across the country to have the life that you wanted. And then you've been able to leave Memory Blue and then continue to grow and take the skills and the experiences that you had here and help propel your career forward. So it's amazing your story. And I love the fact that we're able to share it with the listeners.
0: And the network, the Memory Blue network is incredible. I mean, I know that there's a handful of alumni out here in Denver. I've seen a few of them since I've been here. I talked to Abigail Lacey over the summer when I was interviewing for jobs just to get some advice. So really the network has been pretty incredible also. And I think that's something not to take lightly either.
2: That's great. So when COVID finally settles down, we're going to be coming to Denver for an alumni dinner and we'll even get Phil out there. I'll be there. Awesome. Well, Tiffany, this was great. We really appreciate it.
0: I had so much fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Tiffany, we miss you.
1: Miss you. Yeah.
0: I miss you guys too.
1: All right. Well, you're crushing it. Shout out to Phil. You got anybody else running around there?
0: I do. I have a one and a half year old toddler named
1: Keegan. Yes, you um, do. Shout out to Keegan, but shout out to Phil. Everybody's going to have a partner and obviously you and Phil have got a great thing going and supported each other. And we appreciate him supporting you through all this craziness with us and everything else. So we will see also, you soon. What's he also what?
0: tests out some of my dumb Salesforce solutions. So yeah.
2: Before we go. Is the little one going to go into Salesforce or is the little one going to sell data storage?
0: I think he's going to sell data storage.
1: Okay. Right. He
2: is a, a chatterbox. <laughs>
1: All right. We'll get him here first though. We'll teach him to listen and ask good questions. That's you're right. Pro- you're probably doing that. You're already
2: yeah. doing that. Awesome. Well, Tiffany, thanks a bunch. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks.
3: The pain of finding and hiring strong sales professionals is a critical challenge that is widespread and getting worse. The Memory Blue Direct Hire service specializes in filling sales development roles within the high-tech space. And with a one-year performance guarantee and 0% interest financing, you can feel secure in your selection process when you use Memory Blue Direct Hire. As a company, we hire close to 300 SDRs annually across our five office locations. That's nearly an SDR per day all year long. Finding, hiring, and developing sales talent is the core strength of our business. Now, we're letting the public tap into the resources of our world-class talent team, specifically trained to find high-potential SDRs in order to close this gap. For more information on this service, check out memoryblue.com/direct. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after
0: the beep.